All right, Peter is, uh, he's written a letter to Christians who are suffering persecution. And if I can summarize up to where we are right now, uh, Peter's introduction provides a theological basis for them to be rejoicing in their salvation. And that begins with their election. They've been chosen by God, and it culminates in an eternal inheritance that they have and that, that we have. And that eternal inheritance is us forever, forever being with the Lord. All right? Forever being with the Lord. And it's an inheritance that is imperishable, it's undefiled, and it's never fading. It's always there, ready for us. And this wonderful salvation, as Peter goes on, leads to hope, and it leads to holiness. And as we find out, holiness is the result of the regeneration of believers. We've been regenerated, and because we've been regenerated, we can be holy. Without that regeneration, it's not even possible. And uh, Peter goes on to identify that one of the marks of holiness is a sincere love of the brethren. And as I've been reading the past couple of weeks, we're going to see Peter bring this up again. And I, I really see that for believers who are going through persecution, one of the greatest things that they can get is love from their brethren. So he talks about the, the love of a brethren. And um, then he goes on to talk about how we've been born again by the living and enduring word of God, by the gospel. And then the last three verses of chapter 1, in that he reminds his readers of the importance of the word of God in salvation. The first three verses of chapter 2, which we're going to look at today, informs Peter's readers of the necessary importance of the word of God for sanctification, for growing in the, the grace and knowledge of Jesus. You know, love for the, for the word of God is actually one of the marks of a, a true Christian, someone who has really been born again as a believer. Let me read you uh, what Jesus had to say in John chapter 8, uh, verse 31. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples. And that's what he said. If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. If you continue in my word, you will know the word. And the word will set you free. Job had a, a real good appreciation of the word of God. In uh, chapter 23, verse 12, this is Job speaking. He says, I have not failed the command of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. If you don't get necessary food, what happens? You die. So food is needed for physical life. It's the same thing with the word of God. The word of God is needed for spiritual life. And what happens if you don't have the word of God? Well, then there's spiritual death involved. The psalmist in chapter 1 of Psalms, verses 1 and 2, um, 
probably quite familiar to you, says, Blessed is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in what? The law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates once in a while. Day and night. night. Exactly. So, you saw day and night. Oh, which day and night? Is that Tuesday doing day? No, day and night. This day, this night, tomorrow, day and night. Well, it sounds like he's saying he meditates all the time on the word of the Lord. Jeremiah says this about the word of the Lord. Your words were found and I ate them. And your words became a joy to me and the delight of my heart. Is God's word a delight to you? Do you get joy out of reading and hearing and studying the word of God? Jeremiah did. What's the longest chapter in the Bible? Psalm 119. Good. Psalm 119. And what is the dominant theme of Psalm 119? The word of the God. Word of God. Now stop and think. The longest chapter in the Bible has everything to do with the word of God. Now that should say something to us right there. Now if we were to look at Psalm 119, verses 97 through 104, uh, just in those verses, there's 20 benefits of the word of God. And I'm going to quickly read those to you. The word of God leads to joy. The word of God keeps us from sinning. It offers free counseling. It guards against self-seeking. It gives hope. It grants freedom. The word of God gives comfort in affliction. The word of God is something to sing about. It's the anchor of truth. It allows us to be examples for others. It offers hope. It sustains us in hard seasons. The word of God is life-giving. It gives wisdom and understanding. It lights the path that we should take. It keeps us from the enemy's traps. It acts as a shield around us. It helps us know the character of God. In it, we experience the faithfulness of God. It gives us peace. And that's just from part of Psalm 119. Pastor Farrell on the 24th, when he was preaching, uh, quoted from an anonymous source, if you'll remember, talking about an amazing treasure. I'm going to read the same thing that he read. It was really so good. It comes from an anonymous source. I don't know who said it, but they kind of summarize the importance of the Bible. This is what they said. This book contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy. Its precepts are binding. Its histories are true. And its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise. Believe it to be safe. And practice it to be holy. 
It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's character. Here paradise is restored, heaven opened, and the gates of hell disclosed. Christ is its grand object. Our good is its design, and the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. It is given you in life, and will be opened in the judgment, and will be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, will reward the greatest labor, and will condemn all who trifle with its sacred contents. Uh, John MacArthur, talking about the Word of God, uh, made this statement. Motivation for genuine spiritual growth arises out of a righteous sense of discontent, that's discontent with our own spiritual growth, coupled with a sincere desire to be satisfied with nothing but the word of God. Yeah. Yes. That passage is from the, the preface to the Gideon novel that they had. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, thank you. So those might want to read it. All right. So it's always there for somebody. And if you don't have one, just go to a hotel. <laughs> right? Okay. All right. The Word of God is the source of many things. It's the source of faith. It's the source of salvation. It's the source of all truth, freedom, spiritual food, growth, victory over temptation, blessedness, holiness, guidance, comfort, assurance, joy, and sanctification. In this one book is everything we need to find out what God's will is for us and how to do it in one place. Peter is is talking to his readers and he's talking about their salvation and the guarantees that their inheritance that they have in heaven. He talks about their sanctification. He talks about their inheritance in heaven that's waiting for them. But until they get there, just like you and I, they're walking this terra firma. They still have to get through the minefields of life. And he's going to be talking about their sanctification and how it's going to help them get through the fires of persecution until they get their inheritance. So let's look at chapter 2, verse 1. Peter writes, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. That's all one sentence. 
one sentence. Okay, now let's go back to our English grammar, all right? What's the main verb in that sentence? What's the main verb in that sentence? Desire. To desire, to long for, right. To long for, to desire, depending on what, what version you have, to crave. That's the main verb in the sentence. What's the object of the verb? Well, I'm sorry I'm taking you back to school in this one, okay? What's the, what's the direct object of the verb? You long for milk. That's right, that's right. So that verb, you've just identified the main part of what Peter is saying. His key verb and his direct object right there. And of course, his, uh, his subject of that would be for all of his readers. Now, perhaps when you see the idea of newborn babes and the word of God used together, some other scriptures might come to mind. Uh, perhaps you might think of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, which reads, And I, brothers and sisters, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but only as fleshly as to infants, could use newborn right there, in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to consume it. But even now... You are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly, and are you not walking like ordinary people? Now these verses in context refer to milk versus solid food. And it's based on the the spiritual maturity of, of the individuals, and that's what he's talking about here. Solid food refers to uh, a deeper study and, and understanding of the word of God. Infants is a description of their spiritual understanding. However, Peter, we go back to Peter in his verse, he's not talking about their spiritual disposition. And milk is not being compared to solid food. Um, perhaps uh, Peter's scriptures might bring to mind Uh, when we studied Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. The writer says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the actual words of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unacquainted with the word of righteousness. For he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to distinguish between good and evil. So this writer, like Paul in Corinthians, is using infant to teach about someone who is, who is not well versed in God's word. And milk is used to represent the elementary principles. Once again, referring to God's word and spiritual maturity. Now, I bring those verses up to you to tell you not to use them in trying to understand what Peter is saying in chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and and 3. Those verses, uh, if you will, are not duplicate 
parallel or corollary teachings on the verses that uh, Peter is talking about. Now, if Peter is not talking about feeding the milk uh, of the word to immature Christians, what is he saying? Well, let's begin as he does. Therefore, therefore, we know what therefore is always there. It's always a point back to something that he's already said. Uh, back in verse 23, he says that you have been born again. You've been born again. Therefore, having been born again, uh, to grow in holiness, which he's already talked about. And uh, in verses 23 and 24, this being born again and, and growing in holiness comes from the word of God, which has really the saving power. So what do they need to do? Therefore, they need to go down to uh, verse 2, part B, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Therefore, because you've been born again, you need to grow now in respect to salvation. So just think of something that has been born, something in its very beginning, and it needs to grow. As Christians, when we were born again, the next step was to continue growing. And we never stop growing until we've reached our inheritance and our, our growing is complete then. So the source of their salvation, which is the word of God, is also the source of their growth, which is, we call that sanctification. Um, this is kind of like a, a, another analogy, if you will, to, to being born again. We're born again by the word of God, and then we grow according to the word of God. Isaiah said in uh, chapter 55, begin verse 10. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there without watering the earth, and making it produce and sprout, and providing seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Now notice what he's talking about. He's talking about the seed, which begins growth, and then he talks about the rain, which produces and keeps it growing. Verse 11, So my word, Isaiah says, So my word be, which goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, without accomplishing what I desire, and without succeeding in the purpose for which I sent it. I, if Isaiah was writing in New Testament times, what he would have said is, God's word that's been given to us is not going to return empty. Those people he has chosen to, for salvation, God's word will be worked in their hearts, and they will come to salvation. And those who have come to salvation, the us that have done that, God's word will work in our lives to sanctify us and to grow us in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Referring back to chapter 1, verse 23 again, um, when a seed is planted, it grows. Okay, A seed plants and it begins growth. And eventually will sprout above the ground 
so that it can be seen and then it starts getting sunlight. Depending on the type of seed, it may continue to grow and it's going to bear fruit, all right, and even bear seeds so other plants can be born. That's what a seed does. That's back in verse 23. Now, a person is born again. We were born again to get our inheritance. That's what we were born again for, to, to be in, in heaven with the Lord, to be perfect. All right? That's what we were born again for, to get that. But we were also born again to bear fruit and plant seeds of the gospel. This is, this is what growing in respect to salvation is. Um, it's the idea of becoming what we are going to be. We are becoming that. And so, two good indicators of our spiritual growth can be measured by fruit coming from our lives and how we spread the gospel, how we spread seeds. Since you and I have been born again, since we've been born spiritually, spiritual growth must be pursued. And it comes by these three things that we see in this sentence in 1 Peter. It comes from a positive duty for spiritual growth. It comes from a negative duty for spiritual growth. And it comes from the seed for spiritual growth. You know, these same truths are taught by Paul, but he describes them by the Christian put-offs and put-ons. So Peter's taking that same kind of teaching, but he's doing it in a different way, if you will. So let's begin with a positive duty for spiritual growth. Uh, back to verse 2. Like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word. Uh, the command, as we've already talked about, the main verb is to long for. What comes to mind when you hear that you should long for something? What are some other words or phrases that might describe that? If you're going to long for something. You've got a desire for it. But just any kind of desire or maybe a strong desire. If you're longing for something, you know, you could desire something like a desire to drink of water now, and two minutes from now, I may not have that. But if I'm longing for that, I have that desire, and I continue to have the desire. So that's a good word. Any other words for longing for something? How about crave? Crave. crave. Do you ever have a craving for something? That's a longing for something, yeah. Um, there are, sometimes in my life I'll get a craving for, for chocolate. Now, you guys probably don't understand that, okay? Um, and actually, that's an ongoing longing in my life, i got to confess, all right? Uh, greatly desire. It's the idea of it's intense and it's recurring. It's the idea that it's an insatiable desire, it's a passion, if you will. And talks about the idea of, of new, like a newborn baby longing for something. You know, all believers, all believers, not just pastors, not just teachers, not just missionaries, 
All believers need God's word like a newborn baby needs milk. He says, be like a newborn baby who desires to be fed by their mother's milk. You know, when you stop to think about it, Peter picked probably the most perfect illustration that he could get and how we should desire the word of God. Um, when a child is born physically, brand new baby, okay? Brand new baby born. All they want, all they desire, all they cry for, first of all, is to do what? Watch TV? Go traveling? They, they cry because they want to read a book? They want, they want to play with toys? Well, of course, none of those. What is it that they desire, first of all, when they are born? Milk. That's right, to be, foot, to be fed. That's their desire. Um, all they want is to be fed. Their first expressed longing, if you will, corresponds to their greatest need. Because when they're first born, what is their greatest need? It's milk to be fed. Otherwise, they die. They know that. Their life depends on it. And one feeding a day is not enough. My daughter Natalie, who just had twins a couple months ago, right? Uh, we were up there visiting this last week. And she would feed those twins. And you know what? Hardly a peep out of them. No crying, no problem, anything, until about three and a half or four hours later. And guess what? Again, feeding. That's what they wanted. That's what they needed. That was their most expressed desire is to be fed. One feeding a day was not enough. It seems like they never got enough. Um, you, you know, you can even overfeed babies because they want it so much. They don't want candy. They don't want steak. They don't want fruit, vegetables. All they want is what? The pure milk. That's all they want. Nothing else is more important. Now, keep that in mind when you read Peter saying, like a newborn baby, long for the pure milk of the word. You know, they have to have the milk in order to grow. They have to have the milk in order to develop. In the same way, with the same desire, folks, never seemingly satisfied, Peter is telling the believers in order to grow spiritually, they must crave the word of God. They must crave the word of God. And they are not to long for just any milk. The baby doesn't want just any milk. Now, some people may think they can grow by philosophy or the studying the many religions, or getting a higher education, maybe Zen meditation, uh, any of the secular books, or quote-unquote ways to God. But Peter's readers are to crave the pure, unadulterated word of God. Not the word of God plus something else. Not the word of God mixed with something else. Not the Word of God plus the Book of Mormon. All right? 
just the pure word of God. And the milk is to be desired, that is to be desired, is the word of God without worldly influence. You know, it doesn't make any difference the level of spiritual maturity that the believer has attained. Every believer, notice that Peter's talking to all of the believers here, all of them. Every believer, from the newest untaught Christian to the most knowledgeable, the most mature in their walk, must have the same desire. Notice what Peter does not command here. He does not say, read the word, study the word, meditate on the word, teach the word, preach the word, memorize the word, search the word. Those are all important and they're commanded in other areas of the, of the Bible here. But the essential key for those is to first have a longing for the word. To have a longing for the word. Uh, read recently, and I also listened to John MacArthur talking about uh, his own testimony. And, you know, he went to seminary. And when he went to seminary, you know why he went to seminary? Not because he wanted to be a preacher. Not because he wanted to go in ministry. Because he wanted to learn the word of God. That's why he went. He went for his own personal need for the milk. Um, when you listen to Pastor Brian and his testimony, you find that too in his testimony. When he got saved, and he even mentioned it recently, the first thing he wanted to do is try to understand the Bible. Understand the Bible. Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but what? On every word that comes out of the mouth of God. That's our life. That's what sustains our life. And a lot of times when it comes to counseling, people will come to counseling and they've got problems. And one of the first things you find is they haven't been in the word. However, just taking in the word is not enough, according to Peter. Not enough to grow spiritually. Besides commanding them what they need to do more of, there is something that they are not to do. And that's the negative duty for spiritual growth. He says in verse 1, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. He says putting aside. <clears throat> Those words are used when taking off old garments and putting on new garments. The same kind of words that Paul uses when he talks about putting off sin and, and putting on righteousness. It's laying aside the old life and putting on the new life. The same words that were used back in the days of uh, the early church. When people got baptized, they would take off the old clothes and put on new clothes. That's the idea that, that Peter has here. So, put off these five sins. In general, what's he saying? Stop sinning. Put off sin. Now, Peter, why these particularly five sins? I mean, we could have listed a lot of sins here. But he has these five in particular. 
Well, I think he has in mind his previous admonition that he gave back in chapter 1, where he says, fervently love one another from a pure heart. Fervently love one another from a pure heart. These five sins would be sins against the brethren and would hinder our love for one another. Also, these five sins might be the ones that would be most tempting to do when you're under persecution. Uh, I won't go into that because it would really be a a lot of conjecture. But um, when you're under persecution, then the tendency is to try to do whatever you need to do to get out of it. All right? These might be included in in doing that. So he says, uh, putting aside malice. Malice is um, desiring to harm someone else. It's a very uh, generic word, if you will. Uh, it's used uh, the idea of just general wickedness. Um, when you think of revenge, you think of malice. Um, the next one's deceit. Okay. This one I think you can get. Why do you bait a fish hook? To deceive. What's that? To deceive. That's right. You're deceiving, aren't you? You're hiding the hook. Okay, the bait also attracts somebody, does two things. It attracts, but it attracts someone to something where there's something hidden that they don't know about. That's the word, that's what deceit means. And it would have been used back in those days. I've, I've baited my fish hook, I've deceived the fish. Okay, that's what deceit is. It's guile, it's dishonesty, it's falsehood, it's treachery. The next one, hypocrisy. Uh, Hypocrisy is the word that would be used for an actor who wears a mask. In in those days when they they had uh, plays in the the, uh, auditoriums or whatever, okay, uh, the people would wear a mask. That's to identify who they are in that that play or whatever. And that's the word that's used there, hypocrisy. Spiritual insincerity, a pretense. Behavior that's not consistent with the words. You wear a mask, and I wear a mask and say something. It's like Ed's not saying it. The mask person is saying it. So it hides that. The next one that's used, envy. Resenting others' prosperity. That's envy. Envy doesn't necessarily mean you have to want it. Envy is not necessarily, uh, Ronnie's got this really nice new Bible, and therefore I want it. Envy could just be, I resent the fact that Ronnie's got it. And then slander. Okay, I'm going to say this, what it is. Bear with me. Onomatopoetic. All right? That's the kind of word it is. Now, what that means is, the word sounds like what it means. Okay, like the word buzz, it means that, but it also sounds like that when a bee does it. The, the Hebrew word slander sounds like somebody who's kind of whispering and, and saying something like under their breath because they don't want everybody to hear it. All right, it's the idea of tattling, it's behind someone's back talking. It's the idea of gossip. 
it's backbiting. Uh, when, you, when you look at this, these sins, if you will, they're kind of representative of all the evil we could do to another person. Notice, long, therefore putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, all, all, all. The two duties that he's given us, um, put off these five sins and crave and put on the word of God, if you will, are described by Paul in Ephesians uh, chapter 4, verse 22, where Paul writes that in reference to your former way of life, you are to rid yourselves, okay, or you are to put aside of the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you are to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Uh, Peter mentioned that in verse 13 in chapter 1, prepare your minds for action. You are to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness and truth. This is the life of a Christian. This is our daily lives. Putting off the old clothes, putting off sin, putting on the new clothes, which is the righteousness of Jesus Christ, living a righteous life. Uh, as Peter's already talked about holiness, putting on holiness, and we're renewed how? We're renewed by spiritual food, by the word of God. Put on the new self is living according to the word. And then finally, the seed for spiritual growth. Verse 3. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, uh, the word if there is not Peter saying like, well, if maybe this has happened, but it's also a word that has the strong um, idea that it's already happened. So you could use the word since. You could say since you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Since, this is Peter, since you have been born again, since you believe the gospel, since you have prepared your minds for action, since you believe in him, since you have your hope completely on his grace, since you responded in faith to the word preached to you, since you have been saved, since you have been born again. Notice that he does not refer only to new believers. He does not say if or since you have recently tasted the kindness of the Lord. And the kindness of the Lord in your version, it might say, since you have tasted that the Lord is good. Because that's what it's referring to. Back in Psalm 34, 8, it says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. You know, folks, just take an in inventory of how God, how good God has been to you. Take that inventory. And you know what? The most good parts of your life has been through his word. From your day of salvation, which would you would say is the best part of your life, that came through the word of God. And each day following, as you grow in sanctification... 
when I say take inventory, it's not just inventory of what God has done. He's given you something. He's made you healthy and everything. But stop and think in your life all the different times when you had that aha moment, when God taught you something and you went, wow, that's terrific. Think of all those times that came from and through the word of God. You know, anyone who's been born, born again should be growing in Christ-likeness, growing in their sanctification, becoming more like Jesus, becoming more like what we're going to be when we get to heaven. And you know, we should never be satisfied with our level of growth. We should always be desiring more. We should always be dissatisfied with where we are in our spiritual growth, wanting more, because we long for that. We need to long for it. Spiritual growth in this world should never stop. The word of God is the life generating, but folks, it's also life sustaining for Christians, for us to grow in salvation. We take in the nourishment, the pure milk of the word. And guess what? The Holy Spirit uses that nourishment to cause the growth. If we want the Holy Spirit to have something to work with, we need to put that word into our minds and our hearts. And it's all of it, folks. It's all of it. Uh, Look at chapter 2, verse 13. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to the government as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who are do, who do right. You know, you read that and you come up with a whole lot of questions. And, and you wonder about what's going on now and I take that. But you know what? I wouldn't even try to understand that without going back through Pastor Farrell's teaching on Ecclesiastes. It's the whole Bible. The whole Bible. A quote from John MacArthur about the Word of God. Recognize how desperate your need is. Don't read the Bible traditionally because your parents read it or read it. Don't read it superstitiously as if it's going to deliver some religious charm. Don't read it educationally just to know the facts. Don't read it professionally for material in your lesson or your next sermon. Don't read it inquisitively just so you can bring out the latest biblical trivia and appear to be a scholar. Read it spiritually. Read it because it's nourishment. Read it because you can't live without it. And you'll be exposed to terrible danger if you don't. So do you have a craving for the pure milk of the word of God? You know, read it. Know it. When you read it, know it. That means understand it. Get the head knowledge of what God is saying. Then you internalize it. Then you make it a part of you. Then you put it in your heart. You have the heart knowledge. And and the best way you know that's happening is when you form convictions. 
when you were a young Christian, you probably were reading and reading, and eventually one day you got to the point where you go, now I understand. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. That's a conviction. That will never be a question in your mind again because you've taken the truth and you've made it a part of you. And you know when you do all that, you start loving it. You start desiring it more. And you know you'll get to the point where you can't get enough of it. Well, all right, Peter, we're going through suffering. We're going through persecution. What do we need to do? Long for the pure milk of the word. That's what you need to do. Uh, May the Spirit give all of us that craving for the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, what a blessed teaching this is. And to my heart, it's been a great one, Heavenly Father. Because I thought I craved the word of God. And now, Lord, I find out I need to crave it even more. I need to long for it even more. And therefore, because I do long for it, I'll be in it even more. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for giving us everything we need to know for life and for spiritual growth. You've given it all to us in this one book, and it's all your words. It's you speaking to us, telling us what we need to know. Lord God, may we love it and desire it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Any questions, comments, anything at all? It's difficult. And, you know, when you go about your daily life and going to work, you're working and whatever, to, to feel that you crave, I mean, passionately or something. I, I just don't, that's hard and um, difficult. I, 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 I agree with you, but I don't find any difficulty when I get hungry going to the refrigerator, okay? And I don't mean that facetiously, okay? Um, we are to desire it just like you desire your next meal, okay? And I believe what Peter and uh, Paul teaches us is, first of all, ask God to help give you that desire, okay, from the Holy Spirit. Okay, because you just don't humanly desire it. Okay, so ask God with the help of the Holy Spirit to help you desire it. But I believe the more you force yourself to do it, the more you are in the word of God, then the more you end up desiring it. Because the more you're in it and you start discovering all these nuggets of truth that God gives, all you can say is, I want more. I want to learn more. And by the way. God, I've got, I got these five questions that, that I'm wondering about. You know what God says? You read the word of God. You read my word, and eventually you're going to find your answers. You may not be able to say, okay, answer to number one is this page. Answer number two is this page. No, is as you read it and you get deeper and you get deeper, all of a sudden you get to something you didn't realize before, and it answers one of your questions. I have to do it as a discipline. Well, discipline's important. Discipline is important, yeah. And that's that's the great starter right there, Jane. Keep at the discipline. But if my discipline was, I'm going to read it once a day, then maybe I say, well, maybe I need to read it twice a day. And maybe I need to meditate on it, what I've read. 
and maybe I need to talk to Linda about what I read because that refreshes me in my mind and, and keeps it going inside of me. So there's it just keep pursuing it, Gene. Keep pursuing. Yeah, Ronnie. I know that uh, for me, and, uh, matter of fact, I have it on my Bible, Psalm 37, 4, says, delight thyself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And mm-hmm. I learned that when I delight in the Lord, my desires turn to be things that he wants for me. Yeah. And that's his word in me. Yep. Good. Anything else? All right. Well, let's go see what Pastor Farrell has to say to us out of the book of Revelation. <laughs> 